Well, good morning, Hillside. How are we doing this morning? Yeah? Good to be in the house of God? Awesome. All right. Well, we're going to dive right in because I have a lot to talk about. Uh, if you were here two weeks ago when I spoke, uh, I preached for all a grand total of 33 minutes. And it was really hot. We hit the road. Uh, I'm going to make up for not preaching a normal Hillside length by preaching a normal Hillside length plus another 33 minutes. Amen? No, I'm just joking. We're not going to go that long, uh, but we're going to dive in this morning to the Word of God. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me and open them to Genesis chapter 39. And this morning we're going to be looking at the life of Joseph. The life of Joseph is, uh, is a great story and it's an example for us today. Uh, before we do this, I want to do a little bit of review on chapter 37. Chapter 37, we see that Joseph was hated by his brothers. They were jealous of him. They had hatred towards him. And they were willing to kill him. If you remember that uh, they threw him into a pit. And then Judah has this idea. Hey, let's not actually like just leave him there. Let's make some money on it. We're going to sell him into slavery. And when we last left Joseph, he was on his way down to Egypt with a group of Ishmaelites being sold into slavery. Now, I made reference last time uh, that Joseph has many parallels. Theologians have gone through uh, and have pulled a 30, 30 plus parallels between Joseph and Jesus. And that's going to come into play today just a little bit later on. Uh, but at this point in Joseph's life, Joseph is between the ages of 17 and 18. He's a young man and he's been thrown into slavery. One pastor said it this way that he went from being in these chains of iron that were leading him into slavery. As the story progresses, God's going to really bless him in all that he does. And he goes from the chains of iron to chains and garments of gold as he's going to be leading in the second command of all of Egypt. Uh, but Joseph is leaving his homeland. and He's not going to return again until he's 110 years old. So, I mean, we're talking he is gone for a long time. Gone for a long time. But the Lord is going to bless him in everything that he does. As we'll see, not only is he blessed in his working, uh, blessed in the things he puts his hands to, but the Lord elevates him and continues to raised him from being head of a household to head of a prison, even though he was a prisoner, to second in control of all of Egypt. And uh, the most powerful nation in the world at the time, uh, Joseph, this godly man, uh, is elevated to this high place. This chapter, though, chapter 39, is going to give us some clues as to why and as to how Joseph was able to be blessed by God. And now God was able to use him and raise him up. So I'm going to go over these two clues just real quick. These are going to be the sermon points, so we're going to get to them and go into more depth a little bit later on. But the first clue as to why Joseph was blessed in chapter 39 and then on for the rest of his life was because Joseph had energized industriousness. Everyone say energized industriousness. In essence, he wasn't lazy. He just was not a lazy guy. He was a hard worker. He was always working. Uh, and it reminds me where we're instructed in Scripture, and all we do, do it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. We are to be industrious people. We are to be people who are zealous about what we are doing, passionate about the things that we put our heart to. Uh, there's a Greek word for this. It's a great word. It's one of my favorite ones to say. But it's prodosko spuedo. Prodosko spuedo literally means with much anxiety. In the English language, when we hear the phrase anxiety, we maybe put up red flags and we take a step back. But in the Greek understanding of the way anxiety worked, anxiety was what drove, 
spurred us on, but draw us towards uh, doing great things in our lives. And I want to encourage us to be like Joseph, be people who are industrious, always putting our hands uh, to work. Proverbs talks a lot about what it means to be a hard worker, but not only does it tell us what it means to be a hard worker, but it gives us the flip side and it tells us the pitfalls of laziness. As we look at scripture, we can see that God calls those who worked hard. God seems to call those who are hard workers, who are industrious, who are exerting energy. Uh, we see Moses. Moses is called to lead the people out of Israel. When? When he was in Pharaoh's courts? No. When he was on the run? No. While he was working for his father-in-law, tending the sheep in the backside of the desert. That's where we see Moses called as he's working hard. Another guy, David, another shepherd, called to great things from his hard work. Elijah, where was Elisha called? Well, he was plowing the field. The disciples, what were they doing? Were they sitting down thinking, oh man, I wonder when Messiah's gonna come? No, they were fishing. They were tax collecting. They were doing things. They were being industrious. God calls those who are industrious. Even so much, what was Paul doing before he was Paul when he was Saul? He was a very energetic individual. He was killing Christians and going around, rounding them up, throwing them in jail. And God even called him because he's industrious and he's working hard. And we're going to see in the life of Joseph that hard work and being industrious uh, is an opportunity for God to use us. As we look at the word of God, we can also see uh, that God really doesn't call those who are lazy. Now, God may have a call for those who are lazy, but God in Scripture does not tend to call those who are in their laziness. And so I want to encourage us this morning as we spend some more time looking at what it means to be energetic and hardworking when we look at the life of Joseph. Remember these things. The second is that not only did he have this energetic industriousness, but he was endless in his integrity. Joseph was a man of great integrity. He had a deep trustworthiness. Uh, he was unashamed and unwilling to jeopardize his character because of his integrity. Uh, so much so that when God told him something or God gave him something, he had to share it. If you remember from chapter 37, he shared dreams a few times, even though he wasn't the most popular person for doing so. He felt he had the need. He was industrious and he was integral to what he felt the Lord was calling him to. So let's read uh, in today's story. Uh, the life of Joseph. This is Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. And it says this, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Let's pray real quick. Dear God, we pray that this morning, as we spend these next few moments, looking at your word, uh, God, this, this perfect, inspired word of God, God, I pray that each and every single one of us, God, that you would be conditioning our hearts, God, that you would be tilling the soil as the seed goes forth, God, that your word would grow in us, God, that out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth would speak, and God, I pray that we would fill our hearts so full with your word and the truth of your word, that God, from that, that we would speak life. God, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. Uh, God, we just pray that this morning these would not be my words, but God, that you would speak through. Uh, and God, that we would be encouraged by what you have to say to us. So God, we pray all these things in your son's wonderful, beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. I want to take just a tiny little pause in the sermon real quick, because I know Pastor Dave 
uh, and Kim are going to be listening to this in just a few hours. Uh, so if we can say hello to Pastor David Kim, who are uh, overseas right now, real quick. Hello, Pastor David Kim. Yeah. All right, all right. They did not have church this morning in the gymnasium. Uh, they were in Westminster Abbey uh, having church. And they, uh, they texted me this morning really early and said, this was really cool. And, uh, so I, I think it's awesome uh, that Pastor David Kim is going to be blessed uh, to be overseas and just having a break. And so uh, thank you for uh, letting me speak to you guys as well. Uh, Potiphar, verse 1. Joseph sold into slavery. He sold to Potiphar. Potiphar's kind of a big deal. He's, uh, he's an Egyptian, but not only is he Egyptian, he's in the courts of Pharaoh. Not only that, he is the captain of all of the guard. He's a very important man, and he saw Joseph, and he liked what he saw. He saw Joseph, and he liked what he saw, and he purchased Joseph. And verse 2 goes on to say this, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And the master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hand. Potiphar saw Joseph, and I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit inspiring him, or he just saw Joseph had some nice muscles, but he knew Joseph is going to get the job done. So he purchases Joseph, and now Joseph is in his house, and we see in verses 2 and 3 that the Lord begins to prosper everything that Joseph does. Everything Joseph's putting his hands to, it's going good, and Potiphar's enjoying this very much. Was Joseph prosperous in wealth? I don't think so. He was a slave. Uh, and that's not always the most wealthy position one can have. But he was content with what he was blessed with. And in his contentment, he received blessing. It's said that godliness with contentment is great gain. It's not great gain leads to godliness and that we can be content once we have the gain. No, it is contentment and godliness that is the great gain. Some would teach that uh, in order to fully experience all that God has for you, you have to prosper in monetary things. That's not the reality. Now, God does bless in many different ways, but contentment in where God has us, contentment in where God has you here and now will lead to great gain, maybe in physical things, but definitely in spiritual things. And so I want to encourage us that godliness in all places, not just when it's going good, but when we're feeling like things are rough and we're feeling like our head is to the ground, we continue in our godliness, we continue in our contentment, and God will bring us great gain. So our first point, and our first clue of how Joseph uh, was able to be blessed and be elevated by the Lord was he was energized in his industry. He was uh, an energetic individual. Uh, I'm going to ask for permission only because I like to shorten my notes. Uh, and so I can write out Joseph, even though it's my little name. Uh, I wrote Joey in my notes. Is it okay if we refer to Joseph this morning as Joey? Is that okay if I do that? All right. I heard an amen from an intern, which means we're going to continue to call him Joseph. All right. <laughs> Love you, Josh. Uh, but Joseph, Joseph was a stud. Uh, everything that he did, uh, everything he put his hands to was prosperous. Have any of you ever met someone like that where no matter what they did, it just went well? And, and, and everything they put their hands to, it seemed like they were blessed. Like, where everyone else fails, they just touch it and it works. Uh, it's the worst when you're trying to do a project at the church 
and, uh, and all the interns are trying, and they're like, man, I just can't get the screw to fit in this area, and then it's like, all right, moves on to Pastor Matt, Pastor Matt, you can't get it either. Pastor Dave just walks in the room, says, oh, how come that's not screwed in? It's like, man, we tried. We've been trying forever, and he doesn't even pick the screwdriver. The screw just magically floats and goes in place. We're like, how does this happen? Well, Joseph was one of these kind of guys. Everything he did, everything he did, he prospered in. And Potiphar saw it, and Potiphar saw him as his best employee. I don't know if they referred to slaves and servants back then as employees, but the example for us today is Potiphar, someone in the world, not having faith in the Lord, a overseer or a boss of an individual, saw that this God-fearing worker was the best employee. The question we could ask today, is this you? Is this me? Is that us? Do our bosses, our employers, maybe we're students, do our teachers see us as the best and the hardest working? The answer to that is no, I want to encourage you, maybe learn from Joseph, because this should be us. When we say that we are of the Lord and we are the Lord's, we should be the best workers there is. Verse 4, we're going to see what the Lord does as Joseph continues on serving Potiphar as he serves the Lord. So Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight, and he served him. Then Potiphar made him the overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. Joseph is elevated to the overseer of the house. Potiphar had seen a difference and had blessed him. The book of Titus, uh, Paul writing a letter to uh, one of his interns who then became a pastor uh, of a church. Titus is instructed to teach the church to live in such a way that when those who would come against them or the world on the outside would have something to say about them, they would be ashamed of themselves if they had anything negative to say because all that the world could say about the church was good things. And we see that here in the life of Joseph. He had someone, his slave master, could say nothing bad about him. Everything he did was blessing, and Potiphar saw the difference and blessed him and raised him to this elevated spot of leadership. Verse 5, so it was from the time that he made him overseer of the house and all that he had had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, on the house and on the field. question I want to ask, is your sphere of influence, is your circle, is your bubble, whatever we want to call it, is your sphere blessed because you're there? Is your sphere blessed because of your sake? Is God blessing your workplace because you are there? In school, is the Lord blessing your school because you're there? I think this is a maybe a cattle prod or maybe an encouragement, but it should be. Where we are and everywhere we go, we carry the living God with us. And we should be living in such a way that it is causing those on the outside to see and to bless. Think about this, verse 6. This is awesome. It says this, And thus he left all that he had. This is Potiphar. Potiphar leaves all that he has in the hands of Joseph. And he did not even know what he had except for the bread which he ate. And then Joseph was handsome form and appearance. Potiphar 
sees the hand of God so much in the life of Joseph that he gives over everything. We're talking finances, we're talking affairs, we're talking setting up his business meetings and everything. He gives it over to Joseph and he doesn't even know what he has except for the bread he eats for dinner. Talk about someone who's trustworthy to the maximum. Not only is he industrious in everything he does, but he has this industriousness coupled with integrity. He's a hard worker and so much so that Potiphar sees this, but then also trusts him in everything that he owns. As believers, our bosses or those who are above us should have full confidence in us because we work for them, but though we work for them, we work as unto the Lord. Remember, this is a callback to the verse I mentioned earlier. In everything we do, do it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. It should be no surprise to the world that Christians and Jesus followers make the best employees. It should be no surprise because if we truly believe the Word of God and we truly are going to do the things that the Word of God instructs us to do, then we should be the hardest working. We should be the most industrious. We should be the people who have the most integrity everywhere we go. I know our world doesn't work this way in our political correct society, but if on a job application it said, mark down what religion you are, and you wrote Christian, it, you should move to the very top of the list because they would know you are going to be the best employee. You're going to be the most hard-working individual. So I want to encourage us to pull these examples from Joseph and emulate them in our lives. Joseph was also humble. He was a hard worker and he was blessed very greatly, but he was still humble. We never see here Joseph, you know, Joseph's up, I'm in charge of this house. I am the real deal. The very first thing that jumped into my mind when it was said Joseph was put in charge of all the household, um, first thing that jumped into my mind was Alfred. Batman. Anyone know like how Alfred is like, he's the butler, he's in charge, he knows what the Batcave is, he knows who Bruce, who Bruce Wayne really is, he's Batman, he's in charge, and he's integral, he's going to keep that secret. Um, I don't think Potiphar was a vigilante at night, being a superhero in Egypt, uh, but Joseph was sure keeping watch over that house, just like Alfred uh, kept watch over Wayne Manor. Uh, in his place though, in Joseph's place, how would we react? How would I react? Would I be someone who was humble? Would I be someone who was extra industrious? Would I be someone who operated in integrity? I, I would hope I would be, and I would pray that the Lord would give that to me, but I don't know. This guy, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery by those he's grown up with, taken to a land he doesn't know, and he's a slave. That sounds kind of frustrating. If anything, it'd be really stressful. But Joseph continues on. Joseph does not focus on his lack, but Joseph focuses on the task. He doesn't focus on what he's lacking or what he may not have. He focuses on the job at hand, and he knows that in honoring the Lord, he needs to do everything as unto the Lord. I pray this would be me. I pray this would be our church.
that the world would see Hillside Christian Fellowship and those who go there. The world would see the church in North Clackamas. The church across the world would be seen by the world as hard workers who will get the job done. I want to hammer this point home hard. I know we're only six verses in and we're going through the entire chapter this morning. But God calls those who are willing to go the extra mile. God calls those who are willing to put their hand in the plow and to work. There's been times in my life where I knew the Lord called me to something, but then there were doors open. I was wondering to myself, okay, God, I mean, am I just supposed to start kicking down doors? I'm like, I want to wait on you to open the doors. And the Lord has revealed to me in some of these times that that you're called, but you're just being lazy, so I'm keeping these doors closed until you're ready to actually start working. And uh, when we realize that, that the Lord has great things for each and every single one of us. I've heard it says this way, and I'm sure you have too. God does not call the qualified, He qualifies the call, right? Uh, so we all have a call in our life, but maybe we won't even see that on the full until we actually get up and start doing things whole lot of little example uh, I have about hard work. Uh, this is one of my pride and joy moments. Uh, I coached football for seven years in Clackamas High School. My first year I was a, a freshman offensive lineman coach. It was great, uh, but I did not like coaching the O-line. I really fell in love with offense and offensive strategy. Uh, and so I was asked by the head coach if I could be the offensive coordinator for the freshman team. And I said, that'd be awesome. And then he said, you know what? We've got a really big team. We're going to make two teams. We're going to have a JV2 team and a freshman team. And he said, after daily doubles, we'll kind of decide who's going to be on the freshman team and who's going to be on the JV2 team. And I was like, all right, that's awesome. And so after going through all of this, you had the popularity and those who had been really good in youth football. And then you had kind of the scrubs, the guys who really just didn't know what was going on. There was 14 of them. A group of about 55, there was 14, and we're like, hey, you're really not going to make the cut. Here you go, Coach Morris, these are your guys. Awesome. And then the JV team heard about this, and they're like, hey, we've got like three or four sophomores who are just terrible at football. You want them to? And I said, yeah, bring them on, bring them on. And uh, I had this team, 17 kids, uh, JV2 team, Clackamas High School, uh, and we were terrible. We were bad. I mean, we had to explain what football was. Somebody's got it. I mean, it was bad. But I loved the game. I loved the strategy. I had some cool coaches who, who I went to high school with who were uh, helping me out. We were like, man, let's do this thing. First game came around. We had a great game plan. I had the laminated play sheet. I was ready to go. I was like, let's do this. And we lost like 42 to 0. And I was like, yeah, praise Jesus. Uh, game two rolled around. It wasn't as bad. We were like 35 to 0, but we lost. And I was like, man, this is really hard. But these boys, they loved it. They loved it. And they put in so much effort and they worked so hard. We did a chapel before every game. We knew going into the season we had five guys on the team who loved the Lord. We prayed before every game. People from the team would come, they'd sit in on prayer, others would laugh at us, but we just kept doing it for fun. Game three rolled around. 
We were at Jesuit High School. And I don't know if any of us know anything about uh, athletics in high school in the state of Oregon. Uh, it's Jesuit. They're kind of at the top. Uh, and Jesuit, we're, we're there at Jesuit because we're a JV2 team. We don't even get home games. Everything's on the road for us. So we're at Jesuit High School, and we're just grinding. We're grinding. And it's 0-0 zero zero in the first quarter. We go into halftime, and it's 0-0. Zero zero. And I'm like, guys, we might have something going here. We did chapel at halftime, and we talked about David and Goliath. It's like, you guys are dating, but without the stones. Like, we need to do something here. Uh, and we're like, all right. We went to the deep recesses of our brains and we pulled together this really weird scheme. And if anyone really enjoys football, I'll tell you about it later. But uh, we came out at halftime. We received the kickoff. We got tackled up on the three-yard line. So we got a long ways to go. And we come out in this formation that no one has seen since, like, 1955. And Jesuit's coaches start scratching their heads. They burn a timeout. We change the formation to one that we've seen since 1964. Jesuit burns their second timeout. Then we get like a 60-yard play. Jesuit burns their third timeout. They're down to timeouts. We go on to win the game 13-0. It was awesome, right, right? But the story doesn't end there. These guys were hardworking, they were industrious, and they were integral to the plan that we had set before them. And we went on, and we were undefeated the rest of the year. And this is where it gets, this is the best part. We had a bye week, or, or, or the freshman had a bye week, and we had a bye week. So I talked to the head coach, and I said, hey coach, uh, my guys really, really want a chance to play the guys who kind of kick him off the team. we do that? He said, yeah, absolutely, it'd be great practice for the freshman. Hey Dave, it'd be a great opportunity for the freshman to practice tackling you really hard, because you don't stand a chance. Back in high school, the tradition was if you have a away game, you wear suits and ties to the school because you're going to work. And uh, the freshmen, they didn't even care. They thought it was hilarious because they went to the JD2 season. I told my JD2 athletes, you wear your suits to school and you have to try that you're on a JD2 team. We showed up at practice. We have a game gear on. Freshmen, they're just wearing their practice does. They're like, ah, oh, this isn't fun. This isn't fun. We're going to knock you out. We went on to smash the freshman like 24 to 0. And like, they were like, what happened? Well, here's the reality they were all lazy. They thought they were good because they had the flashy cleats. They thought they were good because they had a good youth career, but they were lazy. They never worked hard. And when hard work is put up against natural skill, natural skill will get you somewhere. But hard work wins out in the end. Here's the thing. I see this, even that example in this portion of scripture. See, it says this in verse five, it says, they had the blessing of the Lord on them in the house and in the field, right? Football field? Okay, that was supposed to be a lot more funny than it was. Next time, right? Uh, let's not be people who are if and when, but we are we people who toil, we work hard as unto the Lord. Luke 16, verse 10, Jesus says, hey, if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. But if you're lazy with little, you'll be lazy with much. Let's be people who, no matter what our situation is, no matter what our job is, we are hard workers. Joseph was blessed continually, and he had to work hard. And as he continued to work hard, the Lord continued to expand him. Now, here's the trap. Here's the trap for someone who's working hard, for someone who's industrious and who's receiving blessing. The trap is 
Blessing and success can lull us into complacency, can lull us into being prideful, can lull us into being lazy. Everything we put our hands to is good, so we don't have to work as hard. Anyone ever been there before? Okay, just me. Awesome. Thank you, Chico. Um, we can let our guard down. If we are hard workers, we're receiving much blessing, the flesh is going to say, hey, it's okay to coast. It's okay to coast. We can get in this coasting state. I think Aesop said it best in his fable. Anyone heard the story of the tortoise and the hare? Man, the hare, he had the natural talent. He was fast. He knew he could win the race. He got lazy. But the tortoise, who maybe wasn't all put together for a race, was industrious, and he had integrity to what was at hand, and he ends up winning the race when laziness set in for the person who seemed more skilled. Paul tells us this way. Not only does Paul say it, but the writer of Hebrews says it as well. We're told to run the race in such a way as to win the prize. He doesn't just say, hey, run the race, Christians, do it. No, run with purpose, with the intent that you are going to win the prize. Be industrious and be integral to the call of which you have in your life. So let's see what Joseph does here. As we're left off in verse 6, he's a handsome-looking guy. Hard worker, doing it. He's hated by his family. He's good-looking. He's elevated to a position of power, but he's lonely because he's a slave. What does it say here, verse 7? And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. Lie with me. Now, she's not asking him to be dishonest with her. She's saying, hey, come sleep with me. The temptation for Joseph, this seemed and could have seemed like a good situation for him. I've been working hard. It's an opportunity for me to relax. I want to ask the question, where is this temptation for each and every one of us? Every time I've ever heard this portion of scripture taught, it's always been the purity sermon for the men's group. And that's true. There is a very real purity message here. But it's not just for men. And it's not just about purity. It's for each and every single one of us. The opportunity to get lazy, the opportunity to get sidetracked from what God has us doing is present every day, everywhere we are. And what are we going to do when the opportunity reveals itself to us? We're industrious, we're on call, we're on mission for God, and the opportunity for us to get derailed comes up. What do we do? We're going to see that Joseph runs, which is a great call. And I'm going to petition that we get new bracelets printed in 2018. You've seen the WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? I want to get the second ones printed, the DWJD, Do What Joseph Does. And get out of harm's way, run away from temptation, and keep your head straight, your eyes on the prize, someone who has integrity. This opportunity comes up for us all the time in our workplaces, cutting the corners, maybe not doing everything our boss said, or we finish everything up and it's 420 and being paid till 5, but I have nothing else to do, I'm going to leave early Where is the compromise? Where is the cutting of corners in our life? 
Because it's so easy to do that. Because it's our nature. Our nature is to make excuses. Our nature is to cut corners. We've been doing it since the very beginning. But God inspires us and calls us and God's word encourages us to be people of the utmost integrity. How often do we try and justify wrongdoing by, well, I deserve it. I've been, I've been putting in my time, I deserve this. We justify wrongdoing. Joseph first was energetically industrious, but second, he has endless integrity. He's not just integral in certain moments, but he has integrity in all moments. Like I said earlier, Joseph was not willing to jeopardize his character. Does anyone know what character is? Character is who you are when no one else is watching. No one else will see your corner cut. No one else will see, as Pastor David would say, you speed on the highway. No one else would see you take that glance or take that extended lunch break. No one's going to know. The Lord knows. Your conscience bears witness. He wasn't willing to jeopardize his character. What is our integrity level? What is your integrity level? What is my integrity level? Is it endless or does it have a stopping point? Where we say, yeah, I've been in, I've had integrity, but I'm going to take a break. I want to encourage us to be endless in our integrity. Let's read verses 8 through 12 real quick. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hands. There is no greater in the house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me, but you, because you are his wife. How can I do this great openness and sin against God? So it was that she spoke to Joseph day by day, and he did not need her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened by this time when Joseph went into the house to do the work, none of the men of the house were inside, and she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled. Ran outside. Joseph had integrity, not just to Potiphar, but Joseph had integrity before the Lord. Notice how Joseph, when he's speaking to her, doesn't say that I would sin against you. He doesn't even say that I would sin against your husband, Potiphar. What does he say? He says, I'm not going to sin against God. I'm not going to sin against God. Joseph knew that he was living his life as to an audience of one. It's not about everyone who's around. But we're living for the Lord and we keep our eyes on the Lord. Joseph made the right decision. He fled. But how many of you know when you make the right decision in a tough spot, Sometimes things don't always end out going super great for you at the end. Let's read what happens to Joseph. And so it was that when he had, or when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called out to the men of the house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us this Hebrew to mock us. And he came into me to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice, and it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and I cried out that he left his garment with me and he fled outside. 
And so she kept his garment with her until the master came home, that she spoke with him the words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant who you brought to us came in to mock me. And so it happened, as I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when the master heard these words, which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner. And in his anger he was aroused. And then Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and put him in the prison, a place where the king's prisoner were confined. And he was there in prison. Joseph made a stand for righteousness and he's persecuted. And things don't end up very well for him, or so it might seem. Jesus says, blessed are you when you are falsely persecuted for my name's sake. He also tells us that in the end, the end of the day, they don't hate you, they hate me inside of you. Jesus told the church in Smyrna and Philadelphia that they are to hold fast when persecution comes because there's hope. Paul tells us at various times in his letters that we're going to go through it. We're going to go through trials. We're going to go through tribulation. We're going to go through persecution. But it's what purifies us and it makes us stronger. James tells us this. It says, count us all joy. Count it all joy, brethren, when you face various trials. The fruit of tribulation is far greater than instant gratification. The fruit of your tribulation is so much greater than instant gratification. First thing that pops into my mind, because I'm goofy at times, is a McDonald's salad versus a freshly picked salad, right? How many of you go for the McDonald's salad over the freshly picked salad? Right, none of us. Because instant gratification, $1.29 in just three seconds in a drive-thru, it might be good in the moment, but it's gonna suck in 20 minutes. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, we planted some lettuce a few months ago, and the lettuce plants are exploding in our backyard, and we have this fresh lettuce, and we cut leaves off of it, they can go back the next day. And it's fresh. I didn't know lettuce could be naturally sweet. It's amazing. Instant gratification is never going to be as good as the fruit that comes from our tribulation. If you don't believe me about salads, just try and get like a Taco Bell burrito versus nice handmade burrito at home. It's night and day different. The James passage goes on to say, that when you count it all joy, when you face trials and tribulation, at the end you'll realize you're lacking nothing. But when we look at the life of Joseph, it looks very clear that he is lacking. But Joseph is not willing to trade the ultimate for the instant. He's not willing to trade the end goal for instant gratification. It looks like he's lacking. It looks like nothing could get any worse. But what does verse 21 say? Verse 21 says this, But the Lord was with Joseph. Is that lacking? Not even remotely. The Lord showed mercy on him, and he gave him favor in the sight of the prisoners. I'm going to wrap up here in just a few seconds. Energetic industriousness is great, but it's endless integrity that will weather the storm. We are to be industrious people, but that's not all it takes. We need to be people of integrity. Because integrity will weather the storm. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. 
through 5. This is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. Paul, writing to the church in Rome, says this, But we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation will produce perseverance, and perseverance will produce character, and character will produce hope, and that hope does not disappoint. Character is who we are when no one is watching. We are to have integrity there. Hope is the absolute expectancy of good to come. Character with integrity equals hope. And what does verse 6 of Romans chapter 5 say? It says this. And while we were at without strength, in time, Christ. In time, Christ. Persevere. Push forward. Be someone of integrity. Because Christ is there. And he's going to give you the strength. Remember I said at the very beginning, Joseph and Jesus have a lot of parallels. It could not be more true than in these things. Jesus was energetically industrious. He didn't just get that way when he became an adult. Twelve years old. Mary and Joseph are freaking out. Where's Jesus? He's being industrious. Got a 12-year-old Bible scholar over here teaching the doctors of the law. And he says, I must be about my father's business. Is that what we say? We must be about our father's business. Jesus also had endless integrity. There in the garden, he knows he's going to go to the cross in just a few short days. Lord, if there's any way, take this cup from me. But not my will, your will be done. Jesus knew there was a job to do. And are we not extremely grateful that Jesus had integrity and pushed and did the job? So the call this morning is to be like Joseph. But it's so much more than that. The call to be like Joseph is a call to be like Christ. Let us be people who emulate Christ in all that we do. Hardworking, integrity-filled people. I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to pray. We're going to pray for three very specific things this morning. The first one is maybe you're here and uh, you, you know, you're being honest with yourself. You know you are lazy. You know you're lazy. And hearing this message, maybe the Lord won't call me if I'm lazy. We want to pray that you get the spur to the back side the, the spirit encouraging you to put your hands to work maybe you're in a place where you are industrious but you're wavering because things are going well and the enticement of the world around is beginning to look good and you want to keep your eyes on the prize but it's hard sometimes I want to pray for you and lastly maybe you're going through the thick of it you're in the trials, you're in the tribulations, you made the stand. But you can't see the hope. It's there. It's there. We're going to pray that the Lord will help us fix our eyes on it and we're going through it. So as Joby makes this plan, I want to invite you all to close your eyes and bow your heads. I'm not going to ask us to raise hands if you're one of these three things because I believe that each and every single one of us fit into one of these spots. We're going to pray for those things here and now today. 
Dear God, thank you so much for the example of Joseph. God, thank you that you have given us in your perfect word the story of this young man who is an example for today. This 18-year-old young man, full of industry, full of energy, and endless in his integrity. God, thank you that this is you as well, that you're at work, and that we can trust you. God, this morning I pray for the individual or individuals who when they look at themselves or maybe they have the wool pulled over their eyes, but the Holy Spirit is even showing them now. They're just lazy. God, I pray right now that they would be inspired, that they would be encouraged to get up, to be industrious, to be about their father's business, to in everything they do, do a wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. God, that as they do that, they would begin to see the call that you have in their life. God, for those who are here this morning who have been industrious, and it seems everything they put their hands to, they've been blessed. But there's that Potiphar's wife enticing them to cut a corner, enticing them with a white lie here or there. God, maybe it is in the area of purity. God, we pray that we focus our eyes on you. Give us the strength, the fortitude, the power that only comes by your spirit to overcome the temptation and to live our lives with integrity for you. God, I want to pray for those who are here this morning, maybe one, two, maybe a few, or... Maybe the majority, I don't know, Lord God, but when we make a stand for righteousness, it's not always green grass and pretty flowers. God, sometimes it feels like a torrent of a forest fire. And everything around us is crumbling. But we know we are to stand strong. And we know we're to count it all joy. And we know that we are to glory in these things. But God, sometimes it's just hard. God, I pray that you bring comfort. That we be receptive to your spirit, the paraclete, the comforter, the helper. God, that our countenance will be lifted. That as we, like the psalmist, when we lift our eyes up to the mountain and we say, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. God, I pray that we would focus our eyes on you and we would see the hope, the absolute expectancy of good to come, that God, you have a plan. And not only are we being industrious and integral, but God, you are at work. And God, you are trustworthy. There is only one who is holy and that is you. God, we trust you and we put our faith in you. So help us weather the storm. God, bless us as we go from this place this morning. Thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting through the bone and the marrow down to the soul of the spirit, revealing to us the motives and the intents of our heart. God, I pray that this morning we would leave this place changed. 
inspired to live like So God, we pray all these things in your son's wonderful and beautiful name. Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.